It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And man, we are going to watch the skies today because we have a guest who is extra special to us. That's a category, a rare one reserved for those we have actually met. In addition to talking to them on the radio, we get to know once in a while somebody and every time, Suzanne... The friendship that blossoms is worth the effort of maintaining a relationship, not just on air. Right. And our guest today actually lives in the same state that we do, and we've met her one time. Kathleen Martin is going to be with us. Let's say hello beforehand, though, to our producer, Nathan Miller. And he is... uh, uh, he keeps setting new records or something in the wor- world of billiards and pool and whatnot. He's an accomplished young man in more ways than I ever knew, Nathan. So you're winning these uh, what sort of yeah, badges, just, ribbons. Yeah, they hand up. Yeah, it's like a ribbon or something. They're just like little tiny awards that they hand out for something that is maybe an accomplishment, like having a break and run or a perfect match. And you have won three of those already in the span of two matches. That's fantastic. That is great. Did you grow up in the kind of home where if you finished your dinner and cleaned your plate, you got a gold star up on the refrigerator or something <laughs> like that? I mean, we had behavior candles. So if we were good, we lit the candle. And when the candle burned out, we got uh, like an allowance or something like that. <laughs> Very interesting how people. But before grow we get up. started in too much yep. into that, there is uh, something we missed. And what happens if they do become hostile? <laughs> Maybe they're not hostile. Maybe they are curious. It could be. Could be. We voyage out to the stars. You know, we've been to the moon and plan to go to Mars. Are we the only species in this universe that would have those adventuresome tendencies? One thinks not if you read the book. Now in an updated 60th anniversary edition, the book is called Captured. The True Story of the World's First Documented Alien Abduction, The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. And when I say documented, incredible. I mean, this is, it may be the single most studied abduction case of all time. I'm pretty confident in asserting that it is. And Kathleen Martin, who has both a professional and a personal interest in this investigation, joins us today. This is a a little bit longer bio than usual, but I want to read this whole introduction because I said it really sets the table for the rest of the hour. Kathleen Martin is a researcher, author, on-camera expert, and international conference presenter. She's widely considered one of the leading UFO contact researchers of our time. Since 1990, she has researched the perplexing nature of UFOs and the non-human entities associated with highly advanced aerial vehicles via her own groundbreaking research, investigation, and experimentation. Her research has extended to archival collections and the U.S. government's involvement in the investigation of UFOs and its major studies. This has combined to give her a depth of knowledge that few possess. She's the 2013 recipient of MUFON's Researcher of the Year Award and the 2021 recipient of the International UFO Congress Lifetime Achievement Award. 
She earned her BA degree in social service from the University of New Hampshire and was employed as an educator and education services coordinator while attending graduate school. Her interest in UFOs and contact began in 1961 when her aunt and uncle, Betty and Barty Hill, had a close encounter and subsequent abduction in New Hampshire's White Mountains. She spent 15 years in painstaking investigation of the Hill abduction case. And as our technology progresses, she continues to seek scientific analysis of the compelling evidence. She has worked on three comprehensive studies on nearly 5,000 experiencers, two of which she initiated and saw to the end and has six professionally published books. Her bestseller with nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman, who died in 2019, is Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. She and Stanton Friedman authored two additional books, Science Was Wrong and Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers. Her book with Denise Stoner, The Alien Abduction Files, includes her investigation of six intergenerational cases of ET contact. Her fifth book, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted, is a comprehensive guide to abduction phenomena. Read her latest bestseller, Forbidden Knowledge, a personal history from alien abduction to spiritual transformation for a deeper insight into Kathleen's own life and works. Her essays have been published in several additional books and magazines. Her books are available in all formats on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and can be purchased at her website, Kathleen-Martin.com. Kathleen, we are so happy to have you back here today with the updated edition we're going to talk about what has been going on since you did the original book and happy to have you here today. It's great to be back with you to share the new information. I've never stopped seeking evidence uh, as you read our technology has progressed and the new book is an update. Uh, I have changed parts of it where I have uh, received more information, and I have also uh, updated the book with the new scientific evaluation of the evidence and new information that I didn't know when I wrote the first book. Very good. the, The top of the book says the true story of the world's first document alien abduction. What I find so fascinating about that is in the studies that you have been involved with, thousands of people have come forward saying, I believe I was abducted by aliens, entities, not of this earth. And yet this is the first one, which is so well documented. I find that curious after the thousands of people that you've talked to that people have not told that story, maybe because they don't believe it themselves. Well, people uh, are apprehensive about talking about their personal experiences due to the ridicule factor. There was a federal policy initiated in January of 1953 uh, for uh, scientific ridicule based upon uh, logical 
deduction rather than any evidence whatsoever in order to discourage people from talking about their UFO sightings. Well, never mind that. What about uh, the idea that you've actually been abducted or have had contact with these non-humans? And certainly Betty and Barney never intended for their story to go uh, public. In fact, uh, they uh, their reports were confidential and they were willing to talk to scientists, to military officers with whom they sought understanding and uh, confirmation of their experience uh, with family members, but we were sworn to secrecy to close friends, but they were sworn to secrecy. And all of this was revealed as the result of a violation of confidentiality made by the wife of a military officer who knew all of the information. He was a naval officer. And so uh, it appeared in the Boston Traveler in the fall, October of 1965. And uh, this ended up uh, bringing the story forward uh, because we met as a family and decided that Betty and Barney should talk about what occurred since it was already in newspapers as far away as Australia. This was not a small thing. This hit the world news media. And that's when Betty and Barney agreed to work with a mainstream uh, writer, John Fuller, who had also written some things about UFOs. And um, he, uh, wrote the first book about Betty's and Barney's hypnosis with Dr. Benjamin Simon, The Interrupted Journey, published in 1966, the year I was graduating from high school. And uh, Look Magazine, uh, which was carrying two articles written by John Fuller, uh, came to my high school graduation uh, as they were preparing uh, to publish the, the to photograph uh, scenes for the publication of these articles. I think that's wonderful. It's great that he honored you in that way, Kathleen. Let me back up a little bit. I got to pull back here for the benefit of our listeners. Okay. It's endlessly fascinating, but we I don't want to assume that people know more than they know. Kathleen, in September of 1961, what happened to Betty and Barney Hill in the White Mountains of New Hampshire? As near as you can tell, mm -hmm. what did they experience? Betty and Barney were returning home from a vacation to Niagara Falls and uh, Canada, uh, returning home at night from Montreal, and they were well-rested. Uh, they uh, had a close encounter with... Uh, an unconventional craft that first appeared as a cigar-shaped object, but as it became as it came closer and closer, they were able to see that it was disc-shaped. It was uh, lighted on only one side. It was rotating, uh, but and and also moving erratically when it moved in the sky in a stair-step pattern, bouncing back and forth like a ping-pong ball. That's what we say now, but Barney described it as bouncing back and forth like uh, a yo-yo. 
And uh, then finally, it descended on the hill's vehicle and hovered uh, over the highway, causing Barney to have to stop in the middle of the road. This is all conscious recall that I'm telling you about. There's been a lot of false information disseminated by disinformants who want you to believe that all of this was brought out under hypnosis. Absolutely false. Betty and Barney remembered that craft being over their car, having to stop in the middle of the road. Barney, who uh, did not believe that UFOs existed and that extraterrestrial visitation was impossible, got out of the car and was still attempting to identify this craft as being something conventional. He looked up at it through binoculars. It's now only a couple of hundred feet overhead. And as he steps away from the car, it moves uh, in an easterly direction and uh, descends even lower over a field. He walks to the edge of that field, looking up at the craft, and he sees entities looking back at him. They're dressed in black, shiny uniforms, and they are somehow not human. These are quotes from the original reports filed in uh, September and October of 1961, just after this occurred. And uh, all of a sudden, little red lights started to slide out on sort of V-shaped uh, wing-like structures, small. And then something started to drop down from the bottom of the craft. Barney didn't know what that was. He uh, feared that he was about to be captured, he said, like a bug in a net. And that's when he went running back to the car, screaming to Betty that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. Today, we know because of the research that I and others have engaged in that this is actually a type of carrier beam that takes people up to the craft, onto the craft. But when Barney ran away, the craft moved in his direction and was now hovering over the, his car as he went speeding down the highway. He'd left the motor running, the lights on, the door open. And uh, he said to Betty to, to look up and see if it was still there above the car. But just as she looked up, he and she heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds striking the trunk of the car. It caused the car to vibrate and for an electrical tingling sensation to pass through their bodies. In fact, Betty felt of the metal on the frame of the car uh, to see if she would receive an electric shock. She didn't. It, but this was an electromagnetic tingling. I felt that tingling myself. Other experiencers have felt this as well and uh, are familiar with what it feels like. It's uh, through the entire body. At this point, Betty and Barney started to lose their memory of what had occurred. And they then found themselves about 30 to 35 miles down the highway. They had some spotty memories of what had happened in the interim. They remembered a roadblock. They remembered finding themselves on a new dirt road with tall trees all around. In fact, they looked for these places 
uh, starting shortly after this experience uh, and until they were finally able to find this place a few years later. <laughs> um, and also they remembered a bright fiery orb that seemed to be sitting on the ground. At first they wondered if it was the full moon, but Walter Webb, the original investigator, was an astronomer and a very good investigator. And he said, no, it was not the full moon. The full moon had set by that point. So um, that is what happened. Uh, they, they went home. When they arrived home, they discovered uh, quite a bit of physical evidence that they couldn't explain. Uh, tears in Betty's dress. Uh, the zipper, the top of the zipper was torn. Um, the the uh, lining was torn from waist to hemline. The hem was torn down on one side. Barney's best dress shoes were so deeply scraped that he had to purchase new shoes. There were shiny spots on the trunk of the car indicating that uh, a magnetic field, probably that electromagnetic field from the, where Betty and Barney had heard those buzzing sounds the previous evening um, caused this. Also, uh, their watches that they were wearing that night stopped and never ran again. I have Betty's watch. It reads 516. And that means that when she and Barney arrived home, she told me their watches had stopped. She set her watch to the, to the, the clock on her wall in her house and, uh, but it never ran again. She wound it, it never ran again. So we know that she went into her house and set her watch uh, that morning at 5.16. They thought they would arrive home by three o'clock in the morning based on their calculations. They'd been up to that area before. So uh, all of these mysteries, Barney only wanted to forget about this. He thought that no good could come of it, he felt that they needed to forget about it as quickly as possible. Betty, on the other hand, wanted to know as much as she could possibly learn about this. Prior to this, they knew very little. And so uh, their long search began. They uh, knew that they had this missing time and this physical evidence but uh, they were finally referred to Dr. Benjamin Simon, a renowned neuropsychiatrist who specialized in working with people who had uh, what was then known as conversion hysteria, where an extremely traumatic event has caused physiological problems for a person. Barney had been hospitalized with life-threatening bleeding ulcers. And so he was referred to Dr. Benjamin Simon. And uh, Betty went along uh, and also asked to be seen by Dr. Simon. He saw them for a period of six months in 2004. I have all of the hypnosis recordings, which I used to uh, first to transcribe. And then for my line by line comparative analysis, of their statements from their conscious recall to what they stated under hypnosis. It's all in captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience. 
Thank you. It's almost like she's talked about this stuff for a while now. You've done this before. (laughs) Such a great synopsis, Kathleen. That was absolutely perfect of the events of um, of 1961. And I, I would have asked you the question, which now seems like a ridiculous question. You know, why why redo the book? But it but it's interesting to me. The first book came out in 2007. This book comes out 14 years later in 2021. And and as evidenced from your introduction and from what you have said, there is now additional information that has come out since that time. You, You knew everything that you knew up until 2007 and and got it all down but as you have continued to look into it as as your interest has continued more has come out and Gary and I were reading the updated information and we're quite fascinated and one of the things that fascinated me the most was in Barney's recollection that when he left the road that he was on, that he made a left-hand turn. Mm -hmm. And in your updated information, you're saying, you know, that you were thinking about all of the evidence from a perspective of somebody who lives in this age and time. And in order to end up where he ended up, it would need three left-hand turns, not one left-hand turn. And so for you, this was an anomaly. And and you said, now, how could he have been so wrong about that? It was three left-hand turns. He only remembers one of them. But then you just said something in the description, which is one potential answer as to why there was only one left-hand turn. And, And what was that? Well, yes, um, the possibility exists that Betty and Barney's vehicle was actually picked up by that craft and then deposited back into that location uh, where uh, they then saw they they turned they around. There was a curve and then they saw these men uh, who were obviously not human men standing in the road on this dirt road and then approached their vehicle divided in two groups one went to barney's door one went to betty's door um we know that they were not taken directly to the craft because uh Barney's shoes were so deeply scraped that he had to purchase new shoes. And he uh, said under hypnosis that he could feel like he was floating and that only the toes of his shoes were bumping on the rocks. And then he felt his shoes, the toes of his shoes, sliding up a, a ramp and bumping something at the top of that ramp. So... Uh, that indicates that he was uh, walked or floated to that craft. Betty, in her separate statements to Dr. Simon, stated that uh, she uh, did not want to go onto that craft, that she was uh, had the idea of escaping 
of, of fighting to get away. She said that Barney was no help because he was incapacitated. He looked like he was sleeping. And so she uh, kicked one of those entities as she attempted to escape. And this is an explanation for how her hem was torn down on one side and the lining was torn as well. So uh, we have that physical evidence that goes along with their memories. Um, but I do suspect, uh, because so many other people have been had their vehicles picked up uh, by these craft and then repositioned, that that's what happened to Betty and Barney as well. Now, you saw those shiny circles on the vehicle when you were a young girl, right? I absolutely did. I saw them. And uh, they were all about the, the same size, uh, just they were the color of the car, but they were very, very shiny. In, in fact, some Air Force officers in that time frame hypothesized that this might have something to do with uh, a communication. And... Um, so I, you know, for years I've wondered what this was all about. Uh, I even took a, a strong, uh, or I took a, a compass and put it over the metal of an old car because the uh, disinformants were telling us that uh, any old car will cause a, a compass to spin in this way, to, to uh, reel around and around. And so I tried it. That's not true. It will fluctuate slightly, but it did not spin in circles uh, the way that Betty's and Barney's spots caused that compass to spin. So, uh, yes, there was definitely a magnetic field there. All of that, with the knowledge that I have now, is consistent with the idea that this craft was picked picked up Betty's and Barney's car wow. and then uh, deposited it in the location where they actually took Betty and Barney out of the car. And because I'm a Virgo, I love details. So I'd like to get into one. I'm going to set this up for you, Kathleen. You hit it out of the park. Suppose somebody says to you, what's the big deal talking about Barney's scuffed shoes? So we got out of the car walking around. He probably saw a man about a horse, you know, out there in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> he got back into the car. So he scuffed his shoes a little bit. What's the big deal? The big deal is that Barney's shoes, and these are his words. He didn't say scuffed. He said his shoes were scraped. In fact, his shoes were so deeply scraped that he had to purchase new shoes. This wasn't just dragging his toe. And he had the memories under hypnosis to confirm that his toes, the toes of his shoes, were bumping along the rocks as he was being taken to this craft. That's extraordinarily important because you have the physical evidence and then you have the explanation for how that occurred. And beyond that, there's one more detail, as I recall. This was Barney Hill's favorite pair of shoes. He would not have treated those shoes in that way deliberately. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Barney was a meticulous dresser. 
And so he was you know, a really sharp dresser. He was always concerned about his physical appearance and his shoes were always shiny. I remember how he used to polish his shoes before he went anywhere. Uh, and so that he would look very dapper and professional. He was actively involved in civil rights work, etc. And so, yes, he would keep his uh, shoes in good shape. We're going to go ahead and take our one and only break of this hour. The book is called Captured, the true story of the world's first documented alien abduction. There is a 60th anniversary edition. It's an update. And the co-author is Kathleen Marden. We'll talk about more about the book, more about the hills, of course, but also about the research effort, including the late, great Stanton T. Friedman. So much to unpack on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell, and we will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Mary Marshall, a versatile psychic medium and medical intuitive who joins us to discuss the energies in our bodies for good health or ill. On Saturday, Jeffrey Mark, the walking encyclopedia of Hollywood history, talks about various celebrities who have reinvented themselves and revived their careers in film or on TV. Bringing you fascinating talks since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Why in the world? (laughs) That song, Michael, by the Highwaymen, was playing at a McDonald's back in, I want to say it was 2006, when Suzanne Mitchell and I were on our way back to Las Vegas, where we had been uh, making a bit of an extended stay. At any rate, we stopped at a McDonald's in Flagstaff. We sat down for a late lunch, and that song was playing overhead. 
there and I must have said something like, wow, you talk about old school. We had left the UFO Congress in Scottsdale, Fort McDowell specifically in Arizona. And we that's where we met Kathleen Martin. We yes. sat down in our hotel room. We had all our gear together to do a radio show. And Kathleen graciously sat down and did about a 20 minute interview with us in between all our other activities at the UFO Congress. And so here's the song playing at McDonald's. I chose it today because I found out it also was the top hit on the Billboard Hot 100 in September of 1961. And likely the Hills were playing it in their car. It could well have been. Yeah. And so here we are talking to Kathleen Martin. Her book is extraordinary. It's, this is the 60th anniversary edition we're talking about, Captured. The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. Kathleen, if people want to get this book or any of your other books, where's the best place to do that? And if they want to connect with you because of your work with experiencers, what what is the best way for them to do that? You can purchase autographed copies of all six of my books at my website, Kathleen-Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N, Dot com. My books are also available in uh, multiple formats, all formats, at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and you can order them from any bookstore. They're professionally published. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can go to my website at Kathleen-Marden.com. There's a contact uh, Kathleen box where uh, you can write to me and I'll reply. Interesting that you uh, have written that there are so many thousands, thousands of experiencers, and yet not very many stories have come forward. And certainly no other story has come forward in the same way that your aunt and uncle's story did. In the 60th anniversary edition, one of the one of the things that you talk about that occurred after the first book came out was the idea that Betty remembered while she was on the craft seeing various symbols, various pictographs, things that caught her attention of, of a particular nature. And since the first book came out, more has been done with the drawings that she did of those symbols. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, you might have remembered that um, when Betty was on the craft, she saw what she thought described as a book. Now, in 1961, we only had books. So in the year 2000, I asked Betty to describe the book for me, and she said that it resembled a stiff, shiny, plastic book um, with printing underneath it, and uh, it was an inch or less thick, but it was large. And so uh, I said to her, will you please uh, try to remember those symbols that you saw in this book? so-called book, which I'm thinking of now as being more like a tablet. And so she said she would try, and then uh, she produced these symbols for me. I visited her at least once a week, and the next week she handed me a piece of paper with symbols on it. And uh, I 
published those symbols in my book that was published in 2007. So uh, Dr. Don C. Don Derry, uh, who is a, now a retired professor at McGill University. He worked in the psychology department. He spent his career as a research psychologist, uh, saw those symbols in my book. And unbeknownst to me, he had been involved in symbol studies research on experiencers. Uh, those involved were not only him, but Dr. Stuart Appel from the State University of New York at Brockport. And they were using symbols that Bud Hopkins, the um, pioneer UFO abduction researcher, had collected from people that he hypnotized and who had drawn these symbols under hypnosis. So uh, Dr. Don Derry asked me if it was all right, if I would agree for him to compare Betty's symbols to those in the study. Because what was important about this study, there was actually two studies, is that they compared those symbols uh, from Bud Hopkins' experiencers to symbols that were sketched by uh, students at the university and then students who were hypnotized and given the suggestion that they were on a UFO and that they had observed symbols there and they were to draw what they thought they might look like. Well, what the result of that study was that those who had Bud Hopkins symbols, who drew them for Bud, uh, had symbols that were very different than the other two groups. And uh, so the team concluded that uh, it could be an indicator that alien abduction is real. Well, Dr. Don Derry uh, compared Betty's symbols, and what he wrote to me is, quote, the symbols Betty remembered that were published for the first time in 2007 look remarkably like many of the symbols that Hopkins has been collecting from abductees since 1975. And I've become very interested in this. And in fact, I worked on one of my major studies with Dr. Don Derry, and we have continued to have a close relationship. And uh, I have my own collection of these symbols now, and I found uh, two distinctly different types of symbols among experiencers, probably indicating a different, a different variety of these non-human entities, because we know they're not all the same. Right. And what was the thing that stood out for me is that you, you had a couple groups of experiencers whose symbols looked very similar. But then you have this group of students who are, are put into a, I don't want to say hypnosis, but either hypnosis or a very relaxed state. And imagine, imagine you've been taken aboard an aircraft, a craft. Imagine that there's aliens. Imagine that there's symbols there. Okay, now draw those symbols. And they looked nothing like those. There was, there was no similarity between the people who were imagining what the symbols could look like and the people who claim that they were actually abducted. 
those symbols did look alike in two different groups. And as you said, they were two different sets of symbols, but that also makes sense because um, of the all the planets in the universe and all the places that entities may come from. So that I found fascinating. If you just imagine you've been abducted, it's not the same as saying, <laughs> yes, I was actually aboard a craft or I was actually captured. Absolutely, because so many people have been told, oh, you uh, just imagine this under hypnosis or you dreamed about this that didn't really happen. But here is evidence that it really did happen. And just one form of evidence. There are many forms. The other thing that is similar to that, but not the same thing, is that your aunt drew the location of various stars on a map. You have an update regarding the stars on the map, too, as to where they might be. Yes, and let me first... Uh, give you a little explanation that on the when Buddy was on the craft, she uh, became comfortable with the one she called the leader and said, I know you're not from around here. Where's your home port? And from the wall, he produced this three-dimensional star map. It was almost like she was looking out a window into space, but, and she saw stars of very various sizes and colors. And she... Um, uh, said to the leader, well, where are you? And he said, do you know where you are on this map? And uh, she said, no, I don't. And he said, well, if you don't know where you are, how can I tell you where I am? It was sort of, there's no reference point, which, you know, it caused me to wonder, why didn't he just show her where she's from on that map? But anyway, Dr. Benjamin Simon gave her the post-hypnotic suggestion that if she could remember these this map uh, accurately, and it didn't trouble to her too much, she should go home and draw it. And so she did. And uh, Marjorie Fish was a brilliant woman from Ohio who did the first work on this. And after many years, and after we made scientific progress and had a different, uh, better different distance data, she was able to find a match for Betty's map. And it's not just that there was a match. It was There were special properties. All the patterned stars are sun-like, although only 5% of the stars in our local galactic neighborhood of 54 light years are sun-like. And all the sun-like stars in that volume of space are on Betty's map. And the met pattern makes sense, nearest star to nearest star. Um, so uh, it, this was very important and many scientists began to believe that this was in fact true, that this was evidence to show this. Well, there has been an update. And in 2013, um, an astrophysicist uh, used 2,289 models from the Hipparchos catalog um, of our digital universe and in the end, after using 2,289 models as opposed to 14 in our local galactic neighborhood built by Marjorie Fish, uh, this scientist found that the Fish model 
is the closest match of the nearest stars. Um, it's 80, still 89% accurate. There might be two stars that are a better fit, and this is probably why it's 89% instead of 100%. And a clear pattern of exploration emerged based on what we know about exoplanets and the ability to remotely detect potential life-bearing worlds. And that seemed anything but random. Um, furthermore, it was based on information that was not known to anyone on Earth in 1961, nor until recently. So another piece of extraordinarily important evidence. Kathleen, this is my opportunity to ask you the sort of question that I just cannot avoid asking you because you probably had an extraordinary viewing experience of your own on television. The date, I believe, would have been October 20, 1975, and by this time, I regret to say Barney Hill had passed away of a cerebral hemorrhage. October 20, 1975, the release date of a made-for-TV movie called The UFO Incident. Now, I'm curious to know, Kathleen, did you all gather around the tube at Betty's house to watch this? What That was an event. I mean... Who were the people playing? I mean, this is your opportunity to really spill it. There was star power in this made-for-TV movie, and I can't help but believe that it was quite the cause celeb in your household. You know, I imagine that it was, but in 1975, I was not living in New Hampshire. I wasn't near my family, and I know that the whole family wanted to see this, they were watched it. Um, but here I was in the mountain town of Crested Butte, Colorado, where there was no television reception. And uh, so I didn't see this movie. I did see it later <laughs> when I had reception and I've watched it many times. Um, so I was, I was happy to see it. It was not an accurate representation of what happened to the Hills. Uh, and, and no televised movies are. Uh, not just televised, but no movies are, period. Um, there's always theatrical license used. I mentioned star power. Unironically, I said <laughs> The UFO incident in 1975, American made for television biographical film starring, get this, starring James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons based on the alleged 1961 alien abduction of Barney and Betty Hill. Somebody took that incident very seriously. Yes, they wanted the ratings, but they thought it was worth putting up there on the tube. Absolutely. Um, this was the result of uh, an option uh, to purchase the right to do uh, a major motion picture on John Fuller's book, The Interrupted Journey. And uh, so it takes many years from the time that the option is signed until the film is actually made uh, and produced uh, not this was they hoped for a major motion picture. It ended up being the movie of the week uh, instead on television. And James Earl Jones did a fantastic job portraying Barney. Uh, he was uh, more emotional than I ever saw Barney. 
And uh, Estelle Parsons was not Betty. She didn't resemble Betty in any way. Um, she was more like a little 60s woman where Betty was intelligent and energetic and, and had strong opinions. Uh, she was a social worker for the state of New Hampshire. She uh, was working side by side with Barney in the civil rights movement and in community affairs uh, earlier on, because Barney died in 1969. But, uh, you know, so unfortunately, it did not portray Betty accurately in any way. I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that that struck me the most, and I think even today as we're talking with you, and that is that it really seems like um, Barney was um, so traumatized on the craft that he was almost um, asleep, whereas it seemed as though Betty had some consciousness about her to know where she was, ask questions, where are you from? Things that I don't think it's not reported that Barney did. It just seems like there was an awareness about Betty that she knew what was happening while it was happening. And that amazes me because I say to myself, what would I be like? If that happened to me, would I be a Barney who is, is so just struck silent or would I be more like a Betty saying, Hey, how are you guys? Where are you from? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever asked yourself how you would react if that happened to you? Well, I have pondered this situation um, for years, as I continued with my research and investigation on thousands of experiencers. And what I discovered is that the vast majority of experiencers are taken for the first time when they're less than 20 years old. It would have been highly unlikely for Betty or for Barney to have been taken the first time when Barney was 39 and Betty was 41. I suspect that Betty was the primary person that they wanted to contact, that uh, Barney was more or less uh, just a secondary person. They saw him second. They, uh, they kept him in uh, almost a trance state. But he was a plus he was one. He was a plus one. He was a plus one. He was also... <laughs> he was also telling himself to lie as quietly as possible so that he wouldn't be uh, harmed in any way. Yeah, right. So I suspect that, Bar that Betty had other experiencers but never had any conscious recall for them and that this was wow. why she was more awake, why she invited them back, why they told her they can always find those they are looking for. That sort of That's thing. That's chilling. Wow. Holy cats. Um, and there is a, a it, if I recall correctly, Kathleen, there's a, a comic note here. I mean, with all the terror that the Hills experienced and Barney seemed to have been in a state of torpor almost there. Didn't the aliens worry that they had broken him because his teeth came out? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, I, do, <laughs> I don't think of the word broken, but uh, Barney did feel what he thought was a finger entering his mouth. And when it came out of his mouth, his uh, teeth must have gone along with it. Now, and they, his they false took teeth. those, his false teeth, yes, <laughs> his dentures. And they, the, these ETs seemed to be shocked by this. And they went into Betty's examining room and uh, began to tug on her teeth to see if they would come out. <laughs> and she had to explain what was going on. I mean, imagine making something like that up, but you just can't do it. And so, um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's one of the, the hilarious things that happened uh, when Betty and Barney were on the craft. <laughs> Kathleen, we only have a couple of minutes. Uh, by way of honoring Stanton Friedman, a man I was privileged to meet and to actually work with in the radio connection in order to get the story out about Roswell and about the famous or infamous ABC special on UFOs. Did Stanton Friedman, your friend and colleague, offer any tentative conclusions after he had been thoroughly immersed in the story of the Hills? Um, well, absolutely. Stanton uh would, was willing to state publicly that this did happen, that uh, Marjorie Fish's work on the star map bore out the, the evidence, the scientific evidence that this is real, that it did occur. And uh, Stanton was a huge proponent of the Hill case. He had met Betty and Barney uh, before Barney passed. They'd had dinner together. He was impressed by their intelligence and by the fact that they uh, told about their experience uh, very conservatively. They didn't hype it in any way and that they remained consistent about what they remembered about their experience. Of course, he knew Betty for years after that. He'd made a, a couple of videos with Betty and uh, Marjorie Fish and uh, so... Yes, uh, Stanton, in fact, was the first one to uh, publicize the star map and Marjorie Fish's work on it in a magazine. And so the work he goes on. I'm sure that you will be uh, coming out with yet another edition uh, in time, in time. But the 60th anniversary edition of Captured, well worth the read. Thank you so much for being with us today, Kathleen. A real pleasure. It was a pleasure to be with you again, too. Thank you. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll be back next Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific on AM 1150, the headquarters of all things weird and radio worthy in Seattle.